Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We're continuing our series today, Light Ahead, a future as bright as the promises of God. And today we're going to look at Luke 12 and talk about God's promise of God's care in God's kingdom. Several years ago, I had something really funny happen with one of my kids. At the time, she was only one and a half years old, and she went through this season where she discovered her shadow and was terrified of it. And we never quite knew when her fear was going to strike. I mean, we would just walk in a room with her, and the lights would be projected the right way where she would see her shadow, and then she would flip out. And one particular time, I went with her and another one of my children to Home Depot. And if you know Home Depot, there's just lights everywhere. So we kind of trample in to Home Depot. I forgot about this whole shadow problem that she had. And we get into the store, and all of a sudden, she realizes that her shadow has followed her into Home Depot. Not only that, but there's multiple shadows, and they're right at her feet. Well, she starts screaming. She's panicky. She's feeling fear and anxiety. She's trembling. She backs up into a shelf. She's trying to get away. Help me, help me. My shadows found me again. And honestly, it was hard to not laugh a little bit because you just saw this child couldn't outrun her shadow wherever she went. I don't know if you've ever experienced the fear of anxiety, not of your own shadow, but of dark things in life. Uh, We're in a dark season right now in in life and throughout the whole world, and things are being challenged in our lives. We we find that insecurity, discomfort, a lack of control, a struggle with other things are following us wherever we go. And as we experience those dark things in life, as the shadows of life seem to follow us, one response that we can have is we can build a kingdom to protect us. We can build a kingdom around ourselves that provides us security or comfort or power or identity or status. But the thing is, when we begin to focus on our own kingdoms to protect us from life's shadows, all of our kingdoms are really built on empty promises. And we often build those kingdoms to escape fear and anxiety But building those kingdoms around ourselves, around our own security and power and comfort, it also only produces more fear and more anxiety. See, the the cure for fear and anxiety, the cure for life's shadows, isn't to build our own kingdom. Rather, it's to radically reorient ourselves around God's kingdom. First of all, to do that, we have to recognize the empty promises of building our own kingdom, and we have to learn, learn to rely on God's promises, the promises of his care in his kingdom. Let's open up Luke 12 right now. We're going to start off in verse 13. Luke 12, 13 through 34. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. 
I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old, an inexhaustible an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the midst of life's fear and anxiety, Jesus calls us to a radical reorientation. A reorientation away from building our own little kingdoms of security and comfort and power. And building them and building our lives around God's care in his kingdom. In our story, this man comes to Jesus and says, hey, listen, my brother and I have inherited this land, and I need you to tell him to split it with me. Now, this wasn't an, an insignificant request. To us, it seems a little petty. It, it's not insignificant, though, because as the land was part of the promised land, in a sense, this man was saying, I want to be part of God's purposes by owning land. And that land would provide security and status and provision and identity for his family for years to come. But I love what Jesus says. In our version, it, he says friend, but in the other versions, he really is saying man, like man, who appointed me arbitrator between you and your brother? But then in the midst of that request, Jesus points out greed and covetousness. He says to beware and watch out for all greed. Greed is this constant desire that we have for more and more and just a little bit more. We see what others have and we grasp onto it. If they have it, I want it, I need it. And really our greed, our covetousness, covetousness is a violation of the 10th commandment. In Exodus 20, the 10th commandment states, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not cover your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, 
or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Neighbor, Do not cover, covet anything. Do not be greedy about anything. And it's interesting that Jesus says, watch out for greed. Watch out for greed. Be on guard against covetousness. Because greed and covetousness are one of the sins that you can't see has infected you. You can't see it. It's difficult to see. It's often hidden. Tim Keller says that no one admits they're greedy because no one thinks that they're greedy. He says he's actually never had someone come to him and said, "Uh, Pastor Keller, I need your help because I spend too much money on myself and my greed has really infected and harmed my life and my soul and those around me. He says no one has ever come to him and confessed that sin. And that the reason for that is because greed and covetousness are hidden. They're hard for the person who's been infected by them to see. One of the reasons they're hidden is because we just think we're being practical. Let's get the next thing. Let's just get a little bit more. Let's, let's, they have it, so why can't we have it as well? But also, greed is hidden in the normacy of whatever culture we're in. And so we look around at those other people and we say, well, they're living lavish lifestyles, but us right here, this is just normal. And we're actually blind to our own greed because we're comparing our culture to another one. But the last reason it's hidden is because it's so ingrained into our heart. Uh, Our idols are often hidden to us, and greed is often attached to the idols of security or approval, or identity, or status. And and we end up being greedy because we're really trying to just get a little more status, just get a little more approval, just have a little bit more security in life. And so greed and covetousness are very hard to self-diagnose. They are often hidden from the person that they have infected. Well, they are hidden from the person that Jesus uh, tells this parable about. He tells this story about a man whose life is going well. And in the story, it seems like everything he's doing is just kind of practical. Like, I'm getting a little bit more crops, so I need bigger places to keep them. And, and that kind of goes bigger, more, better. And he keeps up in the ante in his life. And we're kind of like, well, that's just kind of practical. Until we look through the story with a different lens and we say, you know what? He's only saying my. He's only saying I when it comes to his wealth and his money and his possessions. He doesn't say anything about God. He doesn't say anything about using his possessions to help other people. He's not seeing his gifts, these as gifts from God that are supposed to flow through him towards others. In fact, he's exposed in verse 19 when he gets to the end of his, of his life and he enters this stage that we call retirement. And he says, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. And we're exposed to what's going on in his soul. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of helping others. He is completely self-absorbed. But then the shocking moment comes when this man's life is over. And God says to him, you've accumulated all these possessions, but now at the end of your life, those possessions aren't even yours. You won't even get to take them in the life to come. Jesus says in verse 15 that one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. And that's really the first empty promise of building your own kingdom. 
When we build our own kingdom, we're believing the lie that our significance, the significance of our life is measured by our possessions. I heard another funny story about a man who worked all his life and he saved everything he had. And during his life, because he worked so hard, he accumulated a lot of money, money and money and money and money. And he told his wife, listen, when I die, I want to take my money with me. So put all my money into my casket with me when they lower me into the ground. And his wife's like, all right, I promise I will do that. So the man died, and the wife at his funeral brought a box and put it in the casket. The casket was closed and lowered into the ground. And a man came up to the wife and said, I know that promise you made, but did you actually, did you actually keep the promise and, and, and bury that man with all his money? And she said, I made a promise. I made a promise to bury him with all his money, and so I kept it. I wrote him a check, and I put it in that box. <laughs> And though the story's funny, it kind of exposes that the significance of our life is not in our possessions because death exposes that empty promise. Everything we have in this life, we cannot take to the next, and therefore our possessions do not equal our significance. But here's another empty promise. Security in this life translates to security in the life to come. In verse 21, Jesus says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. This man in this parable who had been uh, building his life around his kingdom, when he gets to the point of death, he's exposed as spiritually impoverished. All the security he had built in his life left him as soon as he died. He didn't build eternal security. He had no need for God in his life because he had a God. He had wealth, he had possessions, he had stuff, and that is what he worshipped. But at the moment he died, he was exposed as spiritually impoverished. He had no security at all. I think that this pandemic that we're walking through has done something similar for us. We found so much security and comfort in temporal things, but those have nothing to do with the life to come. Be sure that you're not putting your security in things in this life that will not give you security in the next. Don't look for material wealth uh, and miss spiritual wealth through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Security in this life does not equal security in the life to come. In verse 22, Jesus begins talking to his disciples. And after this whole parable, after this incident where this man says, come and split the land, Jesus says this to his disciples. Therefore, don't worry about your life. Therefore, don't worry about your life. You know, in your Bible, the, the, the incident over the splitting the land and the parable is one section. And then this verse starting in verse 22 is another section, but they are intricately connected. They are very connected. Jesus has just been talking about greed and covetousness, but now he's going to be talking about worry and fear and anxiety because they are connected. Your covetousness is connected to your worry. Your anxiety will flow out of your greed for more and more and more. When you focus on what's best and getting what's bigger and better, it will only bring fear in your life. And that exposes one of the other empty promises, that bigger and better kingdoms bring peace, and they don't. 
Pursuing bigger and better in our lives only brings more and more anxiety. In fact, Leon Morris says it this way, greed can never get enough and worry is afraid it may never have enough. Listen to that again. Greed can never get enough and worry is afraid it may not have enough. R. Ken Hughes also says, worry is the emotional reward of material preoccupation. Worry is the emotional reward of material preoccupation. In other words, anxiety, fear, they can spring out of covetousness and greed. I would challenge you even just to backtrack your fears. What what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? Is it related to more, to bigger, to better? It, It may not be related specifically to money or wealth, but it might be related to more security. It might be related to bigger power, to more respect, to a better identity, to more approval, more, more, bigger, better. What do you want that someone else has? My guess is if you can identify that, you will identify an area where you struggle with worry. What must you add to your kingdom? If you can identify that, my guess is you're identifying an area of your life where you have fear. Fear, anxiety, and worry can cripple us because just like that shadow that followed my child around, they will follow us around wherever we go pursuing the things that our, that our greedy hearts want. But Jesus invites us into a radically different way of living, a way where we rely on God's promises, the promises of his care in his kingdom. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Jesus starts by inviting us to consider God's care. In verse 22, he goes on to say, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. He then says, Consider the ravens and consider the wildflowers. The ravens, who were unclean, insignificant animals, didn't have anywhere to grow crops. They didn't know how to grow crops. They're birds. Nor did they have anywhere to store them. And yet God feeds them. And the wildflowers, though beautiful, they don't make themselves grow. They, They don't bring sunlight to them or rain. They're just there waiting. And yet God grows them and they are beautiful. How much more, Jesus says, are you significant to God? Aren't you worth much more than birds? How much more will he do for you? You are so much more significant to God, first of all, because you are made in the image of God. You are created with his image stamped on you with dignity and respect and honor. But not only that, if you know Jesus Christ and your sins have been forgiven, you are a child of God. He has deposited his Holy Spirit in you. He wants you to live in the freedom of children of, of, the, of a child of God, and you are significant to him. So consider God's care for all of creation, but specifically for you. But then secondly, question your own sovereignty. Question your own sovereignty. You know, we're called to plan, and strategize, to work, save money, and use wisdom in this life. 
but we are ultimately not even the authority over our life because we don't decide when we die. In verse 25, Jesus says, by worrying, you cannot add a single hour to your life. Well, you might say, well, yeah, but worry causes me to panic. And then when I panic, I start to think and strategize. Yeah, but you, you can make decisions in your life that are wise, but you ultimately can't control the moment that you die. And so Jesus is inviting us to question our own sovereignty, to think and realize that we don't have the ability as the king or queen of our life to even be the ultimate king or queen. God is the final authority and our lives are in his hands. Now that could terrify you, but Jesus is inviting us to rest in God's care as king. In verse 30, he tells us that the kingdoms of this earth are not able to do that. And what he means is that Many nations surrounding Israel at that time had various gods for various things. They had a God that oversaw the crops. They had a God that would protect their families. And they would have to go and appease these gods to get these different gods for different things on their side. But Jesus says the God of Israel, the one true God, is different. That God, the God, is Father. And he knows what you need. You don't have to go out of your way to appease them, appease him. He sees you. Do you remember Aminiona? Aminiona, he sees me. And Jesus throws in this little phrase in this passage where he says, oh, you of little faith. And by that, he doesn't mean that we don't have any faith. He just means that our faith is deficient. Listen, if you aren't able to rest in God's care as king, that's an area you need to grow in your faith. Many of us live our lives going, if I trust God, then he will take care of me. But that's not it at all. God promises to take care of you. Therefore, you can trust in him. You can rest in him and you can seek his kingdom. In verse 31 through 32, Jesus says, but seek his kingdom in all these things. And by, by all these things, he doesn't mean massive amounts of wealth and stuff. He means food, water, shelter, clothing. But seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights, delights to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God was announced by Jesus when he began his ministry. He said, the kingdom of God is now here. And as people who are under his lordship, we are now citizens of God's kingdom through his work on the cross. That kingdom is about the values and priorities of heaven coming to earth. So enemies are forgiven. Strangers are welcomed. Outcasts are accepted. The poor are cared for. That's what happens when we live as God as king. And what he's getting at in this passage is in God's kingdom, God is bringing his care and generosity into an anxious and greedy world. Well, you might say, that sounds really nice. I would like to be part of a kingdom like that. I'd like to live in a kingdom where all those values of God were manifested. You do. You do live in that kingdom. You are part of that kingdom. Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. He has given us the kingdom through the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, 
We are the enemies who have been forgiven. We are the strangers who have been welcomed into God's kingdom. We are the outcasts who have been accepted as citizens. We are the spiritually poor who have been cared for. We are the people who are anxious and greedy, but are being shown generosity through Father God, who is king. God promises as his children, that he will take care of us. He is the king. We live in his kingdom, and he will provide for our essentials. That is to say, God's care and generosity will come to you. But it also, it's that God wants it to flow through you. It's not just coming to you, it's flowing through you. Look what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Jesus is calling his disciples to radical generosity. In light of God's care in God's kingdom, he's calling them to live a life of radical generosity. Now, many people have wrestled with this passage and say, is Jesus calling us to sell everything we have? Uh, Well, he was definitely calling his disciples to do that. But we see in the early church, they didn't sell everything they had. They had homes, but they were radically generous with their homes and everything they owned. They used it for God's purposes. They recognized that God had been generous to them through Jesus, and they wanted to show that generosity to each other. So maybe it's not that we sell everything we have, but we have everything we have with an open hand and we ask God how he wants us to use it. God definitely wants us to not only have an open hand, but to be generous. You know, some people have said, God doesn't want you to sell all your stuff or God doesn't want you to sell stuff or God doesn't really want you to be generous. He just wants to know that you would be. God just wants to know that you would be. God doesn't want you to be radically generous? That doesn't make any sense. God wants us to be radically generous. It's not just that we should be radically generous and he wants to know that we have an open heart about it. He actually wants us to act. He wants us to be generous to those in need. And the funny thing is, is as we do, that's actually the cure for anxiety and worry and fear. How do you stop worrying about the stuff that's in your hand? Well, give it away. Be generous with it for someone else. God wants us to be generous because it's one of the cures for our anxiety and fear and greed and covetousness. It's not just that God wants us to have an open heart about it. God wants us to actually be generous. I mean, can you imagine if we had looked at Jesus and the night that he was betrayed and he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and we would just go, well, God didn't really want Jesus to give his life away. He just wanted to know that Jesus was willing to give his life away. No, God called Jesus to be radically generous with his life, and he was. He gave his life for us on the cross through that by faith in him, we are forgiven and reconciled to God. And see, it's as we catch that glimpse of Jesus that we realize he is the treasure. He is the thing that we need to reorient our hearts and our lives around. Jesus himself says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. We are called to look to what Jesus has done for us, to look to his radical generosity in the midst of a greedy and anxious world, to to receive what he's done for us, 
but then also to reflect that generosity to others. And by doing so, we are expressing the values of God's kingdom here on earth. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Rich in your relationship with God. Rich in your, not, in, your, in your sense that you don't need to fear and you can trust your Heavenly Father. Rich in the presence of the Holy Spirit because Jesus was poor for you. Let me encourage you. Receive that today. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, submit to him. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins and and receive his generosity that he went to the cross to die in your place. But, But not only that, rest in him. If he gave his life for you to take care of your greatest need, your sin, how will he not also give you all things? But then don't stop there. Seek to live as a citizen of his kingdom. Don't hold on to your stuff. Give it away. Maybe during this season, it simply means this. I have two cans of food, and I only need one. I can give one of these to someone that does not have any. Maybe it means this. I have money to pay my bill this month and next month. Maybe I find someone who can't pay their bill now and help them out. Maybe it just simply means I have the opportunity to sell a few things on eBay and make a small donation into the Mercy Fund so that we can help someone in need. Doing these things is part of treasuring Jesus and who he is. And you and I will get to treasure his presence from now into eternity. Our hearts are freed by the one who was radically generous in our place so that we could be radically generous with others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would free us from fear and anxiety, that we would rest and trust in you and that we would be representatives of your kingdom by your grace for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. I want to invite you now to sing a last song. Uh, Virginia is going to lead us in a song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I want to say these words to you before we sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And then hear this line. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. Dying in greed, dying in anxiety, dying in fear. His perfect salvation to tell. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.